0: Well, good morning, Gateway. It's good to be back with you uh, this morning after a couple weeks away for one reason or another. And, uh, you know, it's good to be here. It's, I'm so happy. I try to say this every time because I am so thankful for our student minister, Luke, uh, somebody that can step in uh, often at the last minute. And uh, and just to have him and be able to have somebody like that trustworthy and just being able to be a great vessel Uh, for the word of the Lord. And I I think for those of you that might be parents in here, you know, often uh, they leave, you know, right now and you don't know what happens back there, but uh, it's a good kind of window into how good of a teacher Luke is and how good of a a person to have on our staff that Luke is. So uh, I'm just thankful for him and I'm glad we have him. If you don't know already, uh, we are in the middle of our Pray for One Summer Edition series, and it's a refresher and kind of like a checkup. Like you go to the doctor for a checkup, or at least you should be. Uh, That's a different discussion. But you go and get a checkup, and we're doing a checkup on our 2022 theme, Pray for One, as we seek to pray intentionally for those that God has placed in our lives and on our hearts. At Gateway, we are a praying church and an evangelistic church, and we believe that this can be life-saving for our ones. In week one of this summer edition, we turn to Mark chapter 7, and we explore the story of a desperate mother who came to Jesus and begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. She was fervently praying for this, so he granted her request because of her persistence and because every one matters to God. And we were reminded that no case is ever too hard for Jesus. Last week in week two, we delved into the familiar story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15, and we saw how the father was deliberately loving his wayward son at every turn. And from this parable, we learned the same about our heavenly father. We learned that he loves us more than we could ever comprehend, and we received that love by receiving his son Jesus into our lives. His love for us models how we should love others, especially our one who is outside of the will of God and his purpose for their life. Today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn over there and we'll be reading from there in just a moment. Our emphasis for our one this morning and the next week of this Pray for One series is to be continually inviting. That is the goal for us. As we build that relationship or maybe rebuild that relationship, our goal is to let them know that there is a standing invitation to join us in the worship of our God. And there's a standing invitation to have a conversation about about Jesus, a standing invitation to come and meet the Savior. And this invitation, it's not just from you or from me, it's from Jesus himself. He says in Revelation chapter three, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We are to be continually inviting because Jesus is continually inviting. As I said this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to pick it up in verse 28. And Jesus, he's here talking to a crowd, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what a great invitation this is. And what makes it even greater is that Jesus wasn't just talking to the crowds that were gathered there that day. He was talking to you and I even today as well. For those of you that are here this morning and you feel tired and weary and and just bogged down, you're weighed down by the troubles of this life. For those of you that need some rest, and I'm not just talking about the type of rest that says, man, I need a nap this afternoon. No, I'm talking about the, I'm not sure I could handle anything else, God. I'm not sure I can handle the weight of anything else in this life. I'm talking about that kind of tired that you need rest from. If you're here this morning and you need rest deep down in your soul, then this invitation is for you. And it's for your one, too. See, here's the thing. You're here. And so that, probably, that means you probably have some idea that this invitation from Jesus is available to you. But your one... They may just be downright exhausted because they don't have Jesus to turn to. They don't have a hope in Jesus Christ. They're trying to handle the divorce on their own. They're trying to handle the cancer diagnosis on their own. They're trying to handle the walls and the pressure closing in on them at work or at home or somewhere else on their own. And they don't even know that Jesus is standing right there knocking on the door and inviting them to find rest in him. We would all jump at the chance to find some rest for our body and our soul, wouldn't we? Man, sometimes you just get tired. Sometimes it's just too much. Sometimes you're like, I just need a break, God. I, it's just been a lot lately. I, one thing after another. Or maybe it's just like you got too many kids and it's like, I'm just tired, God. I just, maybe you're a mom. I think that's just what a mom is called, right? But the, whatever it is, we would all jump at the chance for just a little bit more rest for our soul and our body. And the first century was no different. Back a couple of chapters in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus looked at the crowds of people that were gathered that day to hear him teach, or maybe just maybe to receive a touch from his healing hands, he commented to his his disciples that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He could sense their pain, he knew that they were hurting, he knew they were tired. And this was, not, this was a reference not only to their difficult first century lifestyle, but also to the oppression that they faced by the religious leaders of that day. The Jewish leaders, they had become so self-centered and so, so self-righteous that at some point they stopped caring about the people. That's when the red flag should go up. When you stop caring and loving for people, that's when you know you've gone wayward in your religion. And this, in turn, it created dull ears and callous hearts against these religious leaders. And it led the people away from God. If that's a God that you're telling me I should follow, I don't want to follow God at all. Friends, let us be very careful to heed the lessons from history so we're not doomed to repeat it. When I look at the current landscape in our country, I see a lot of hate that's aimed at the church and at Christianity in general over things that have nothing to do with Jesus or even the Bible at all. And as a result, people have started to develop dull ears and calloused hearts against the church and against Christians. And they're missing out on hearing about the love of Jesus because we're out here trying to promote our own opinions and call them biblical. See, the gospel, that offends for sure, but it also invites And when we misrepresent Jesus, we are causing people to miss the message that they truly need to hear because we're out there too busy promoting the message that we want them to hear. So let's keep Jesus and his gospel ahead of our personal interests so we we avoid becoming like the religious leaders in Jesus' day that we read about in the gospel accounts. And the work of these religious leaders, it was actually what Jesus spent most of his time teaching against when he was here. In an earlier section of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, he laments the fact that although he had done so much and performed so many miracles and gave so much good teaching in so many cities, they still did not believe. You still don't get it. You still don't see it. He told them it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And if you know much about Sodom, it didn't turn out too well for them. And then he gave the invitation that we just read. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Forget these guys. Come to me and I will give you rest. You see, he railed against the leaders who were misrepresenting his father and then offered love and rest to those that they considered to be on the outside and unworthy of his love. The words that Jesus used here in this invitation, it gives us insight into who he was speaking to. First, the word he used for labor refers to those who are just plain exhausted from life's hardships. But the word he used for heavy laden refers to those who have had heavy burdens put on them by ceremonial, by by others. It it implies that that they have been burdened down by ceremonial regulations and rules. This this was a direct indictment of the religious leaders who who had made living as a Jew, as a lover of God, far too difficult with all of their ceremonial laws. And that is who Jesus was inviting, those that had been oppressed. He was inviting everyone, anyone, but especially the ones whom everyone else had rejected, whom everyone else looked down upon. People like the woman at the house of Simon, a woman who responded to the invitation of Jesus to come. And we can read her story in three of the gospel accounts, but Luke provides us with, uh, with the most details. So we're going to look at his account of her story this morning. You can find that in Luke chapter 7 if you want to turn over there. We see that Jesus had been invited to the house of a man named Simon the leper who was a Pharisee. Evidently, uh, at some point in his, in his past, Simon had had leprosy and then been healed of it, maybe by Jesus himself, but he kept the title because that's how people knew him. Now, I'm not out to judge anybody, but listen, if I'm going to be known for something, let me be known for something like that's good, right? I don't want to be known as like I, I, like, I would like to be known as like Brian the Great, Brian Brian, the, the the Outstanding. I'd even go for Brian the Average over Brian the Leper, okay? Like, I, I mean, I feel like it would be like, Brian the COVID, and you'd be like, oh, okay, okay, all right. Well, does that mean you have it now, or you had it, or like, what, what's happening here? And that's kind of how I feel like if if your name was Simon the Leper, they're like, whoa, okay, you look okay, but like, it's kind of in your name. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, why, wouldn't you, why would not you, you stick with that? Or maybe, you know, let's be fair to him. Maybe he did try to change it. Maybe he, like, drafted a letter, scheduled a meeting with the Sanhedrin. And is like, look, guys, it's been, like, four years, man. Can I get, like, a different name? Like, people don't want to be around me. It's just in my name. And, and like, they, he stood before him and they said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's just, that's what we know you as. We don't want to, it's too difficult to change it now. Come on. It's like, it's, it's like on the certificate and everything. I mean, come on. There's a lot of Simons running around too. And like, we just know you as Simon the leper. I, I don't know. I, I digress. Anyway, Simon the leper has invited Jesus to this dinner party. And it, this dinner party though is, it's really just a chance for Simon to show off. It was first century entertainment. He had a lot of money and a lot of important friends, and he wanted to show everybody just how important he was. And on top of that, he's invited this guy, Jesus. This, this new guy that's come on the scene. He's doing these miracles. The guy that you've all heard about from Nazareth. Yeah, that's right. He's coming to the party, guys. I mean, I'm pretty important. I got him to come. And so Jesus is at the party. And Luke tells us that while he was sitting at the table, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he, was, that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This woman was not invited to this party. Man, she wasn't even anywhere near the guest list. She was far too far down on the the social scale to ever even be considered for a party like this. This was for important people, not street people like this. She wasn't welcome there. See, Jesus had been invited. He was there because he was important and he was impressive, but this woman was not invited. And she never even would have received an invitation from Simon or any of his friends because she wasn't just an outsider. Well, she was a prostitute. And that's what Luke was inferring when he calls her a woman of the city who was a sinner. And so that day, can you imagine what was going through the mind of this woman, what she was feeling as she entered the party that day? I'm sure she had feelings of immense fear and shame and guilt just flowing through her as she gingerly walked into this party. Now, we can't really know what would lead somebody to a life of this, right? I mean, you don't set out on the career path to become a prostitute. There's usually something that leads you to this point, something has happened in your life that has led you to this point. Perhaps she grew up without a loving father. Perhaps she had been a victim of of sexual abuse, leaving her confused about what real love actually is. Maybe she was forced into this lifestyle because her parents had died at a young age and she had to find a way, any way, to make some money to feed her siblings. We don't know the reason, but whatever the reason, what I do know is that everybody has a story. Everybody has a tale of how they ended up where they are today. So every day, this woman had to endure the glaring looks of others, the muttering under the breath, the sideways glances, the, 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 the huddling of children closer to him as they walked by her, the nasty words and advances of men who viewed her as less than human. And so it couldn't have been easy for her to enter that party that day. She knew how important these men were. She knew that she didn't belong there to enter into a room full of men that would be judging her, wanting her away at at the earliest moment. But why did she do it? She did it because she was determined to get into the presence of Jesus. And I think because she was weary and heavy laden, her soul needed rest. Rest. And when she got to Jesus, she poured out the only thing that had any value to her, her perfume. This perfume, it was the the main tool of her trade, a way to notify anybody close by that she was available for hire. And for her to pour this out was like her pouring out her life, her, her well-being, her way of making an income. This was her saying that she didn't want that life anymore. This was her last, best hope, and as she poured it out, she broke down, and she began to cry uncontrollably, her tears falling onto the feet of Jesus. Because sometimes in our moments of surrender to Jesus, we can't help but weep uncontrollably as we surrender and make ourselves vulnerable to him. When we admit that we need a change, that we need to repent and come to him. As the tears flow, she starts to begin to feel immense shame. And the woman tries to hide the evidence of her emotions by letting her hair down to wipe the tears off of Jesus. But in the eyes of the Pharisees, this makes it even worse because a woman should not let her hair down. It's disgraceful. It should be up on your head, covering your head. Jewish custom forbid her to let her hair down in public. And in the eyes of the men at this party, man, she's just making a mess of herself. Here we have this prostitute. Do you see what she's doing? She's breaking every rule. This woman is disgracing herself even more than I thought was possible. But in this moment, they're not just watching the woman. Let's see how Jesus handles this. Let's see how he takes care of this. Oh, surely he's going to throw her out. If he's who he says that he is, if he believes in this enough, he's going to throw her out. Let's, let's just watch. Verse 39. He said, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. And here's Jesus being Jesus. I love this. Because Luke tells us that Simon, the, Simon the leper here, he's tell, he said this to himself, which means that he either mumbled it to himself under his breath, or he was just thinking it. Otherwise, either way, nobody else heard it, but Jesus. Jesus heard it, and he looks over at Simon, and he tells him a little story. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of... You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And here we have another incredible display of the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ. He didn't see this woman's presence as an interruption, as an annoyance, as a nuisance. He saw it as a desperate cry for help, an act of genuine repentance and worship by this woman, to which he responded with grace on top of grace. Why would this sinful woman take this enormous risk of entering Simon's home uninvited to do what she did. She knew she didn't belong. She knew she shouldn't be be there. She knew what would happen when she came in. Why would she take that risk? Because she knew that the invitation of Jesus was for her. Maybe she had witnessed one of his incredible life-changing miracles somewhere along the way. Maybe she had heard him teach about a God who loved everyone, even her, even the outcast, even those on the outside. Or maybe she had heard his earlier invitation firsthand, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whatever it was that motivated her, it was paying off now. Simon's friends, man, they don't like how everything's turning out here. And they begin to get upset saying, who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus, he didn't care about what they liked or didn't like. He didn't come to please them. He didn't come to save them. He didn't come to make them feel better about their religion and their rules and their laws. He was there for the lost. He was there for this woman. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. You know, you might read that story at the beginning and think, why would Jesus go to a party full of a bunch bunch of religious leaders? Is he there to to teach them what's really up? Is he there to, to correct them in their ways? I mean, Jesus, his ways are obviously way better than any of our ways. He has a purpose for all that he does. But as I think about this story, I think the only reason he was there was for this woman, to save her, because he knew that was where he was going to meet her. I when mean, I bet when, he heard, when she heard these words, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Man, she had to experience such a feeling of spiritual release like she had never imagined was possible. Her soul was cleansed, her slate wiped clean. Right now, your one might be in need of a similar experience. They are struggling in the sin that entangles them, and they don't know Jesus, but they know that they need something more than, the, than what they're stuck in right now. They, don't, they need their soul to be cleansed, their slate wiped clean. They are weary and heavy laden, looking to give up the sinful life that they've led and just surrender. I can't do it anymore. They know they need something more. They just don't know that it's Jesus. Friends, is this the experience you're praying for when you pray for your one? I hope so, because their greatest need is a spiritual need. They may have a whole list of needs that, they, that you know of, things they're struggling with right now, things they're going through right now. But the fact remains for all of our ones and for all of us is that our greatest need is a spiritual need. We all need to accept Jesus and to follow Jesus. We all need the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we wrap up this morning a couple of things to consider as we apply the story of this woman in Luke chapter 7 to our one. As you continue to build the relationship bridge that will provide an opportunity, opportunity for you to start offering an invitation to your one. And the first thing to point out about the story is that condemning the woman didn't lead her out of her sinful lifestyle. If condemnation would have worked, man, the Pharisees would be great at it. The Pharisees certainly would have got it done. That was, their, that was the main page in their playbook, is to condemn people and make them feel like they were nothing. Like they had to come to God because they were wrong. And that, that, that was what they did, was condemn. But not Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said in John three seventeen? It is, of course, right after the most popular verse of Scripture, John three sixteen, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But right in the next verse, and perhaps just important for us to remember, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know, it's it's hard for us not to condemn others sometimes, isn't it? Especially when we see a loved one living outside the will of God. I know the way that you should be going and you're not doing it, and it's so frustrating. Come on, can't you just do better? We seem to want to put everything in life Everything, when it comes to sin on a scale, and here's the thing, when we start weighing that out, how do we typically think about it? Well, we think, man, I might be struggling with some stuff, but at least I'm not doing what he or she's doing. Man, I could be so much, I, I, I could be so much worse, don't you see? Like, I could be doing this, I could be that person. Man, I, I, what, I'm, what I'm in doesn't compare anything to them. So usually when we put everything on a scale, it's to make ourselves feel better about the sin that we're in. In our minds, there are some sins that are worse than other sins. And one trap that we fall into as Christians is that your sin is worse than my sin. But in the eyes of God, all sin is equally disobedient and punishable. So we have to remember that we are not in the condemnation business. That is not our job. And who are we to condemn others when we are filthy in sin as well? The only one with the right to condemn is the one who does not sin, who has no sin. And we just read that he, even he did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And so instead of pointing fingers and condemning others, let's focus on introducing the world to the one who can save them, introducing them to Jesus Christ. We will not see people set free from their sinful past by shaming them. We will not see a spiritual cleansing from their addictive behavior or from their disgraces or from their arrogance by condemning them and making them feel lesser. It is only by Jesus that we are saved. And if that is a truth that all of us know, then it's a truth that we should be sharing with our one continually. The Second thing to pull from this story as it pertains to our one is that an invitation led the woman. An invitation led the woman out of her sinful lifestyle. It's an invitation by Jesus and to Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus came for the sick. He came for the hurting and for the hopeless. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus told the story of a wealthy man who was throwing a huge banquet party. It was a, a giant party, and the man told his servant to go out. I want you to go out and get everybody that I know here, all my friends, all my neighbors. I want them to fill my house. I want to have a giant banquet. But all the people he knew had some excuse or another for not coming when he hears it, when he, the man hears this, he tells his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded is done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled." compel them to come in so my house can be filled. I want you to compel them. There's just, there's a weight to that word. Like I don't want you to just go out and ask them. I don't want you to go out there even and tell them. I want to, There's an urgency about this. I want you to go out and say, I need you to trust me right now. You need to get in there. This is where you need to be. I'm compelling you to come into the master's house right now. There's an urgency. There's a desperation in that invitation. And for us, that sounds like we should be continually inviting our one. And not just an invitation that says, hey, you should come to church with me sometime, but one that says, hey, I know what you're going through right now. I know that life is really hard right now. I know it feels like that you can't catch a break right now. I've been there. I know what that's like. I know what you're going through right now. And the only thing that got me through was the love of Jesus. And I know, I know that's what you need right now. Do you trust me? Compel them to come in to the house. You know what? I, the, one of the beautiful things I, I love about Pray for One is that I think in most cases, the name that has been put on your heart by God. It's not some random guy at the gas station. It's not some average Joe that you know nothing about. It's somebody that's close to you, that you've known for a long time, that you really know what makes them tick and where they're from and what they've been through. And with that, you can say, you know what? I know what's going on right now. And I know that Jesus can help. I know that when you come to him, you can find rest. Fervently pray deliberately love, continually invite. And the question this morning is, is your one worth it? Is your one worth it? Are they worth your time? Are they worth your effort? Are they worth the frustration when nothing seems to be happening, when it seems like they're going the other direction? Is it worth it to continually invite them and continually pray for them? When Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, the invitation went out to all of us that we were no longer dead in our sins but set free from the bondage that separated us from the Father. His resurrection set us free from the chains that this world tries to set upon us, a truth that you and I may know. But for your one, it's a truth that they may need to hear for the very first time. So let us be continually inviting so that one day, they may be set free as well. That the things of this earth that are bringing them down, that are exhausting them, that the, the burdens that they're being crushed under right now, that they can know that there is a Savior who is for them, waiting, standing at the door and knocking and waiting for them to come home. Let's pray. Father God, we, I'm so thankful for your immense love for each one of us. I know there are times in our lives where most of us have felt like we have no worth, where we have no purpose. We felt like this woman from Luke chapter 7, where we don't belong, where nobody loves us. But Father, I'm so thankful that that is a lie, that the truth is that we have been created in your image and that you love all of us more than we could ever comprehend. And just like that woman walked into that party and felt like she was an outsider, that she had no worth, Jesus turns to all of us and says, you are worth it. I see you and your sins are forgiven. So, Father, this morning I just I, I, would, I pray that we would all remember in the hard times of life that you are for us and that you are there and that we can come to you and find rest in you that even when the burdens of this life feel like they're crushing us you stand at the door and knock and you're still there and your yoke is easy. Father, I, I I pray for each one of our ones that we would be continually inviting them to know the love of your son Jesus, That that their sins have been washed away, that they've been wiped clean, and that they can have eternal life if only they would accept him. And the things of this world would no longer hold any power over them because they have a salvation that can't be taken away by anything or anyone. And they can know a love that only comes from Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that we would be motivated, that we would act and be continually inviting our ones. We would be seeking ways to invite them to know your son, Jesus, so that more could come into the master's house. Father, I thank you for your love and for your amazing grace. And for your son, Jesus, who died for each one of us. But also that we have a living hope in him that can never be extinguished. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You might have come in here just kind of dragging yourself in here because you're exhausted. You've been just crushed under the burdens of this life. You're exhausted by the things and the oppression of this life. But Jesus is there. He's waiting for you to come home. If only you would accept him. So if you have questions about what that relationship looks like, you can come forward. I'd love to talk to you about it. And you can come and just be dead in your old sin But through the waters of baptism, you can leave here a new creation in Christ with the burden lifted off you because the burden of Jesus is light and his yoke is easy. So I'd love to talk to you about what baptism looks like this morning. If you need prayer this morning, we have an awesome God, an amazing creator who, though he's done all these things, he wants a relationship, a personal relationship with each one of us. And he's given us this gift of prayer to cast all of our cares and our anxieties and our burdens over to him so we can have life and life to the fullest, knowing that we have an eternal security that there's more to this this life than just this. A lot of times we realize that through this gift of prayer, that we can hand it over to him and let him do the work, which is infinitely more than we could ever do. See, if if you have a decision to make, you want to talk about baptism, I'll be down front this morning. If you just need somebody to pray with you, I would love to pray with you over whatever's going on in your life. But I invite you all to stand and sing our final song together now.